All right. Becoming a mighty man or woman of valor, which obviously is a not so overnight process. And this is part three, third and final section. And this is critical because you cannot become great on your own. God doesn't expect you to. When I was in Seattle a few months ago, I was teaching on the book of Judges. And one of the things we said out there that I probably need to teach more, needs to be said more. When God's people cry out to God, the most common answer he gives them is a man, a leader. I was witnessing. I I used to do a lot more witnessing than I do now, and that kind of bugs me. But many times when I've been drawn by the Spirit of God to witness to somebody, it was because their heart had just been crying out to God. And their heart is seeking God, and then God speaks to an individual to go interrupt their life with the gospel. Even in the book of Acts with Cornelius, he was seeking God, paying alms to God as a Gentile, and an angel shows up and says, go ask for a man named Peter who will tell you words whereby you and your whole household must be saved. So this, we don't like this as Americans because we're individualistic. We, we pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We believe we're self-made. But what we fail to recognize that in the blueprint and pattern of God, when we cry out to God, he sends us a man or a woman. But I'm just saying man in general. And we have to be able to submit to that process if we want to become great. You can't become great on your own. There's not a single strong Christian staying at home having basement church today as a habit. I know folks are home fighting sickness or their kids are sick. I'm not talking about that. But there's not a single home group where the folks have rebelled against the local church that is a strong, God-ordained, God-anointed home group. Now, maybe in China, when the government's tearing down their churches, they're meeting at home secretly, but that's a church because they're under a God-ordained leader raising the dead, doing miracles with half a page out of the Gospel of Matthew. We've been given a lot more, and we're doing a whole lot less. But when we cry out to God, one of the things he's going to give us is a man or woman of God to help us come up. And that's going to be a test on us in many directions because you're going to have to submit to a natural vessel. When Israel cried out for 400 years, God raised up a Moses. And they didn't like him after about five hours. And then they talked about killing them constantly. And when they got tired of the Philistines, they cried out and God gave them judges or a Samson or a Deborah or a Barak. They weren't always excited about those. But you just need to understand the process. You cry out to God. He doesn't always show up in your bedroom in his glorified state. He usually shows up with a knock on the door and an invitation to church. And that's just how this thing works. And the more you can get with the process, the better your life can be. So let's review the first 10 steps we've covered in the previous two lessons on becoming a mighty person of valor. Number one, you got to find a captain and someone that is greater than you at the kingdom. Tonight, I endeavor to teach on seduction and deception. And one of the keys to beating both is to have someone in your life you trust more than you. I've got pastor friends that don't even have that going for them, and I fear for them. But you've got to find a captain, someone in your life someone in the kingdom greater than you. And then you're not always going to agree with everything about them, but I always measure it, all right, whose life is being promoted by God? And if your life is being promoted by God more than my life, then you've got something I don't. And we can just set the disagreements aside and let me learn what you've got. And then we said step 1A, make sure your captain is also submitted to leadership. And we've proven all this in the previous lessons uh, looking at the life of David. Number two, trust in the safety of having a captain. I really fear for families whose husbands or fathers have taken them out of the local church and they just meet at home 
at their basement roundabout time, and they have no captain over them. Therefore, they have no safety. Therefore, when they go through hell, which everybody's bound to at some point, they have nobody to turn to, nobody to call out to, nobody to reach out to because nobody knows them. So you trust in the safety of having a captain. Number three, trust your captain to hear from God. The whole reason he's being promoted by God is because he does hear from God. Number four, be honest with your captain in times of weakness and fear. And so we saw David's mighty men be honest with him and say, though you've trained us, we're terrified here in our training camp and you want us to go fight. How much more terrified will we be if we obey you? But there is the open line of communication. They feared and respected David, but they were also comfortable enough with him that they could go and complain. And he wasn't going to chew them out. He was going to listen to their complaint and then adjust strategy based on where they're at. So number five, see step three, trust your captain to hear from God. David went back and said, Lord, what do you want us to do? And the Lord said, go up anyway. So when that's the case, we've prayed three or four times, we're going to go up and we're going to do it afraid because part of having a leader is you getting outside your comfort zone. And it's possible to come to church. It's possible to live in the cave of Dulem without actually ever having a captain. And you kind of do your own thing. You keep your family away. You keep your family hidden. And you, you just kind of constantly run interference. And that's not a good thing. Your family will eventually leave you because they will see the blessing on everybody else except for your family. Though you can technically say, we've been in the cave of Dulem under King David. I guarantee you, David did not perfect everybody in that cave. It just didn't happen. He had 400 men come to him, but only 39 mighty men of valor. 600 eventually grew to that number, but you still had 600, then 400, then 39, then the three, then Joab. So just because you're in the cave of Dulem doesn't mean your family's going far. It's a better place than the guy staying at home in his basement. But you've got to make sure, bless God, if we're called to King David, we're killing with spears, we're killing with slings. Everybody, we're going to kill a lion. Junior, you're only five years old. You go find a lion cub. You kill a lion cub. We'll graduate you when it graduates. But you're doing something to get this, this thing working. Number six, you do it afraid. Number seven, you expect escalation by association. And that's just part of it. I've been slandered online, I think, because of my association with Dr. Barclay, because somebody who hates him doesn't like the fact that I love Dr. Barclay. So they found our website, ran us down a couple years ago. They even found all of our Facebook people and started slandering Dr. Barclay and me for us hosting Dr. Barclay at our church. That guy has had to be blocked from so many people's Facebook accounts. When you have multiple churches complaining to Facebook about you, you're an idiot. Number eight, don't forget your servant, no matter how great you get with the sword and the spear. Number nine, confidence arises as experience is earned. And every cave of success has a culture to it, and you're supposed to be partaking of that culture. You ought to smell a little bit like the cave you dwell in, just like you smell like the home you just came from this morning. Just like your, your kids probably have your accent, they have your mannerisms. I watch your kids grow up, and as your kids hit about five and six years old, I see daddy's mannerisms in that six-year-old. I see them in my own kids. Uh, I see, I can just look at you, and I can think about you and your kids and think they have taken on mom and dad's personality and culture. And that's how, it's a good thing. It's all right. It's acceptable. But it's also supposed to be that way in the kingdom as well. 
that you start to take on the culture of the cave you're called to, whether it's First Baptist or Trinity or Life Church or here at EWC. If this is where God's called you, that's the culture you're to take on. So what you ought to be doing is looking up to who's doing it better than you and learning from them. Look up for you parents. Look up. See who's doing a better job parenting. Number 10, look for opportunities to be with your captain. Yeah. The more you're with your captain, the more he rubs off on you. So we get into our last six or so steps. Step 11, take on new enemies and new territories together. First uh, Samuel 27, 8. <clears throat> and David and his men went up and they invaded the Gershurites and the Gerzites and the Amalekites, for those nations were of old the inhabitants of the land, as thou goest to Shur, even unto the land of Egypt. David's not king yet. He has a little bit of reprieve from Saul hunting him down. So rather than just sit around and enjoy wealth, they go and get other stuff done. They go look for a fight. They go look for something to do because you don't waste this much ability. You have a roving band of Palestinian Navy SEALs you don't just waste that throwing rocks at tin cans. You go do what's got to be done eventually anyway. David fled to Gath, that is Philistia, to escape being hunted by Saul, but he and his men did not sit dormant. And I might add that when you're really full of the Holy Ghost and the Word of God and you've been discipled, you're always itching for the next thing. All right, VBS is done. What do we do now? There's got to be something now. I don't know how to just go home and just sit. There's got to be something else. Is there another assignment? There's another, another project, Lord? If we, if we sit too long, we'll grow roots and dust, and all of a sudden we've lost momentum. There's got to be something else to do. So David's not hunting, or Saul's not hunting David now. He looks for something else to do. He looks up, and he realizes these guys shouldn't even be here. This is our territory. I'm about to become king. Let's go ahead and just kill these guys while we have time. Anybody else got a better idea? No, I got nothing else to do. Yeah, let's go do it. So they went up after three groups of people because they were bored. <laughs> they didn't have social media back then. They began to invade the surrounding enemy nations. This is work David would have had to do as the future king, but he took care of it when he had nothing else to do. You might as well look around in your life for other things that need to be accomplished. Don't wait to be told. Don't wait to be asked. Start cleaning up stuff today. It might throw this out at you. It's, it's a good thing to always go to bed with your house clean. Because when you go to bed with your house clean, you wake up with your house clean. And that kind of gives you a sense of victory walking out the door. With the traveling that we do as a family, one of the stressful things is we always make sure we leave the house spotless. Because when you come home from a vacation or two weeks on the road, you don't want to come home to a dump because you're about to unload all your luggage and it's going to be a dump. <laughs> Make sure your checkbook stays balanced. Make sure you don't close out the week without the balanced checkbook or to start the new week. Don't wait to be told. Be proactive. This is hard for poverty and religion, but this is what we're learning from David. You're proactive looking for the next thing to do. 
If you own a home, you're always looking, considering the next project. When will this carpet have to be replaced? When will I need to replace that ceiling fan? Because I'm noticing the, the blades are drooping. How old is that ceiling fan? You know what? That sink looks old. It needs time for an update. Those tires, how much tread do we have left on the tires? Your mind is always leaning forward into accomplishing something because your job as a human being is to bring order to the chaos that never stops raining down around you. These people caught that from David. David, even though he's being hunted, he realizes he has a kingdom he's got to bring order to. And while he has time, he's doing it. It's not being a king yet, but these are little things that have to be done. And if I take care of them now, I don't have to take care of them later. The Cookville mindset is, why do today what I can put off till tomorrow? The proactive, disciplined disciple of Christ says, why put off till tomorrow what I can do in five minutes right now? And if you didn't know, furniture in the floor is not where clothes go. I am preaching good. It also might be good to always put your dishes away before you go to bed. That way you wake up with a clean sink. It also might be worthy, it might be good not to have 17,000 cups and 16,000 bowls. Because when you do, you're collecting porcelain. Because why clean it? I got nine more bowls up there. I mean, if you want to get really strict with a messy household, just have one bowl, one plate, one fork, one spoon for every person. And if yours is dirty, you're doing the dishes. <laughs> we see that his men had become men of fearless courage in war. The captain had raised his men up from being passive pushovers to offensive warriors. What a change. They have nothing else to do, so by default, they pick war. When the first time they went to war, it was commanded of God, and they did not want to. Here, it's just an option, and they want to. So we see this change, but they had to submit to the flavor, the discipleship, the vision of the cave of Dulem and what God was doing there. Step 12, resist turning on your captain in the hard times. And if you're doing something for God, there will always come hard times. Always. The devil doesn't let you live for free. He doesn't let you preach for free. He doesn't let you manifest the Holy Ghost for free. So any church, any family, any ministry that's advancing the kingdom is going to be attacked. And it's always a different kind of attack. And the Lord lets it be diverse so you can get diverse experience. I'm all for passing the test the first time, and let's go try something new. If you keep failing the same test... Something's wrong with you. The devil's got your weak spot, and he's going to keep exploiting it till you fix it. Now, this is a story when they left Ziklag to go chase after the enemies of God. And while they had left Ziklag, their city, unguarded, the Amalekites came, stole all the women, stole all the animals, stole all the children, and left Ziklag totally abandoned and a ghost town. So when David and his men return, all their wives and kids are gone. That's got to be heart-wrenching. And all of this because David was bored. And they hadn't thought about a strategy of leaving people to guard the women folk, the kids, and the substance. Verse thir uh, 1 Samuel 36, And David was greatly distressed for the people. These are his people. They spake of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. <coughs> Excuse me. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. 
These are the men that just went to war with him. These are the men that owe David everything. They're not even considering that David has lost his wives and his children. They're just worried about themselves, and this is David's fault. So his men, who he's made something out of nothing with, now they want to kill him. Now you can tell they're emotional because they want to stone him and not cut him with swords, annihilate him with slings and stones, or run him through with spears, because that's what they've been trained to do. But they revert back to their barbaric, basic nature, which is pick up stones and stone him. If they were really into their right mind, they would just assassinate him with a dagger or a sword, something he had trained them to use. But they're emotionally a wreck, as you would be too if you came home and everybody's been kidnapped. And there's no police in these days and no FBI. Realize that there are hard times to be had whilst serving God. These usually aren't leadership's fault. It's the devil's fault. It's the spirit of God's fault. In fact, this would be the time when leadership needs the most support, so don't be fair-weather soldiers. Amen. I'm, I'm proud to say that even in the 12 years that I've pastored, we've never lost people in hard times. The folks we lose, we typically lose because they don't want to get rid of their sin. And to be 100% clear, probably 90% of the people that have left here wrong in 12 years, left wrong because of sexual sin they didn't want to repent of. And when I say sexual sin, the full gamut of all sexual perversion. We, we have lost folks who just wanted to go to another church or they just got offended or they're just immature. And some folks, they didn't, they didn't belong here. They recognized it and they were serving at another church. The folks we've, left wrong, that have, we've lost wrong, though, we've not lost because of hard times. We've been able to weather every attack, every slander, every lawsuit. We've only been one, but we never lost anybody in any of those because we're not fair weather soldiers. And that's, that's to be commended. Other churches, because they, they preach soft, they draw soft people. And then when hard times come, they lose the soft people because they never toughen them up in the first place. And so we want to make sure we're not fair weather soldiers because hard times will come to any and every ministry doing the gospel. All right. Step 13, look for ways to help your leader in time of need. So this is actually the next verse in this sequence here. It says, And David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Abiathar brought thither the ephod to David. And David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? And God answered him, Pursue, for thou shalt overtake them, and without fail recover all. Now David hears rumors that his men are going to kill him because they're miserable, they're in distress, they've lost their families, and rather than get their head in the game, they want to kill the leader, which is so carnal and immature. That's like eating roast pastor for lunch after Sunday service when he stomps all over your carnal parenting. His 400 men of valor are actually about 600. They're not yet fully discipled because their emotions are not trained. And they have yet to consider, David, are you okay? Because you're our leader and your wives are gone. He had two wives at this time. Your wives are gone. I, I know you got to be miserable because not only does the king want you dead, now your wives are gone. You've made us. Nobody's asking David that question. All these men, they might be mighty men of valor in the battlefield when they've got a sword in their hand and everything back home safely, but they're not emotionally valiant yet. And tough times like this will always show you where your emotions are and you've got to get a hold of them. But once again, David proves why he's in charge. Because he doesn't just have his wives gone. 
He's got his men wanting to kill him, and his first answer is, get me the ephod, let us seek God and see what God says. The men hadn't learned that yet. They hadn't caught that yet. <clears throat> These men are still a work in process. And so Abiathar had just lost his dad and all of his fellow priests in the previous chapter. We covered that in the previous lesson. If you remember the city of Nob, the city of priests, they heard that David had come through there and they had aided David, not knowing David was being hunted. Saul goes there and says, is it true you've helped David? And Ahimelech says, yeah, I've helped David like I've always helped David, like I've always helped you. Is there a problem? And Saul, being insecure and demon-possessed, says, yes, there is. And they kill everybody. And only Abiathar, Ahimelech's son, escapes, makes his way to David. Remember, David says, be at peace. Stay with us. For those that seek your life, seek my life as well. Here you'll have safety. So Abiathar here, he's just lost his dad. He's lost all of his fellow priests. And now he's lost his family, and it's David's fault. And yet he's the only guy smart enough to stick with David. Because this guy knows how, he doesn't know how to swing a sword, but he knows how to seek God. He's a priest. He's the only friend David's got in the whole camp. And David says, I pray thee, get the linen ephod, not for David to wear, but for Abiathar to wear, to go seek God. He's saying, it's time for you to do your priest thing. Get in there and seek God. He had just lost his dad and all of his fellow priests. Now it appears he's, he'd lost his family to the Amalekites, all due to David. But rather, uh, rather than turn on David, as the others spoke of doing, he helped David seek the Lord for guidance and direction. David sought God, as David was very prone to do, and victory was obtained. Turning on your leader never results in any kind of victory for anybody. We might add that, for anybody. So something happened that the Bible doesn't record because he says, get up, and they all do. And all of a sudden, this little insurrection of stoning David passes away, and 600 men strap on their swords, and they begin to pursue after the Amalekites. I like what the Lord said. Get up and pursue. Don't weep. Don't cry. Don't kill these guys. Just keep marching forward. Pull the slack out of these sissies. And you will recover all. That's a wonderful promise. Pursue, overtake, recover. And that, now there's a sermon right there. I'm not a preacher, but I could preach that. Uh, some of you are a little weak-willed. You're a little weak emotionally. Uh, some of you cry at the drop of a hat. And I would tell you the word of the Lord says, I might add, Pastor Chris says, shut up. <laughs> pursue, overtake, recover. We might say, get shut up, get up. If we wanted to make it a five-point sermon, shut up, get up, pursue, overtake, recover. You give me four or five more minutes, I will have a sermon, and that will become Sunday morning's message rather than the one I brought. <laughs> Amen. And that's what they did. God promised them, get up. And anytime God spoke, David obeyed, they always won. And you got to know they're fighting their emotions here because now they're not just doing it for somebody else's family. It's their family on the line. And this is a day of sex trade. And this is a day of rape and pillage. And this is a day of just killing a teenage boy if he looks at you wrong as you're marching back to your city. They have a lot on the line here. But God said, without fail, you'll recover all, which means you're not losing anything. Not a goat, not a chicken, not a calf. They're not even eating it on the march. Step 14, 
Resist the temptation of pride that comes with success. We continue on with the same story. They pursue, they overtake, uh, but David has to leave 200 of his 600 men at the brook of Bezor because they're too faint. Either emotionally or physically, they're just not capable enough. So he leaves 200 and they remain with the stuff, which means everything they've got left. So 400 pursue after even more fervently. And on the way back, they certainly come to the Amalekites. They wipe them out. They recover a great spoil. Their stuff plus a whole bunch, because the Bible goes on to say that with this great spoil, David sent treasure rewards to all of his friends and all the surrounding cities. That's how much stuff they had. Not just theirs that they recovered, but that much extra spoil. It says, And David came to the 200 men, which were so faint that they could not follow David, whom they had made also to abide at the brook Bezor. So they made them stay there. They didn't want to, but David could look at them and say, you guys don't have what it takes. That's okay. Stay. That's an order. Their heart wasn't to stay. They were made to stay there. And they went forth to meet David and to meet the people that were with him. And when David came near to the people, he saluted them. He doesn't condemn them. He doesn't say a bunch of wusses. He salutes them. Greetings. Hail. Shalom. Then answered all the wicked men and men of Belial of those that went with David. So even among his 400, which were his second tier of greatness, they were wicked men and men of Belial. 400 men who were strong enough to march, 400 men who'd been taught how to fight like David, 400 men that were fearless on the battlefield, 400 men who had had part of David's heart, 400 men who just a few days early wanted to kill David. The Bible says even among those 400 God recognized a couple of them as wicked men, men of Belial. Just proves that you can live in the cave of Dulem and not catch the vision. You can get a skill set, but not a heart set. These are David's mighty men, and yet some of them are wicked men, men of Belial. Of those that went with David and said, Because these 200 men went not with us, we will not give them aught of the spoil that we have recovered. Save to every man his wife and his children, they may lead them away and depart. Wait. <laughs> they may take their women folk and their kids and get out of here. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. You guys forget that a couple of days ago you wanted to kill David. Bunch of cowards. He's the one that made you anything you are worth not talking about. And now you think 200 men aren't even worthy of being part of your camp? because they're not good enough, because they were physically exhausted and David, had, David commanded them to sit, and now you want to cut them apart? That's why the Lord called them wicked and men of Belial. When, I think the modern translation, men of Belial, is called useless men. Useless men. Because it doesn't matter what your skill set is, if you don't catch the heart and the vision of the house, you're useless. And any church can tell you that. You can have men of great ability, great wisdom, great intellect, great skill, but if they don't have the house vision, they are useless to the house. Then said David, You shall not do so, my brethren, with that which the Lord has given us, who hath preserved us, and delivered the company that came against us. Notice David says, Us, us, us. He says, You won't do this because God has done this for us, us, us. For who will hearken unto you in the matter? <laughs> and I like that because it shows he's throwing down, he's trumping them with his authority. Who's going to listen to you guys? 
But he's careful not to excommunicate them. He calls them brethren. He wants them to know you're still part of us, unlike what you're trying to do to them. And don't forget that it is God who's done all this for us, brethren. He's trying to disciple them in this heated moment. I don't know if they ever learn it or not. Who will hearken unto you in this matter? But as his part is that goeth down to battle, so shall his part be that tarrieth by the stuff. We understand this in modern military. It isn't just the guys that go off on patrol, but the guys that stay back and guard the camp or the FOB, Ford, or FBO, Ford Base of Operations or whatever. Both are just as critical. They shall part alike. And it was so from that day forward that he made it a statute and an ordinance for Israel unto this day. Resist the temptation of pride that comes with success. It seems that discipleship never ceases. They've got the military skill set, but not the unity skill set. They've caught the man of war heart from David, but not the compassion heart of mercy yet. And no matter what your skill set is, you've got to get a better heart. Even if you have a good heart, you've got to get a better skill set. This thing never stops. You've got natural skills and heart skills, and they've got to work their way up. And just because you've learned everything in one area doesn't mean you've learned everything in the other area. This is very similar to step eight, which is don't forget you're a servant. After David's mighty men had learned courage, it was time to teach them humility. Here, David's men fell into the carnal trap of creating cliques, also known as tribalism, us versus them, or the A team and the B team. Every church will fall into this if leadership doesn't oversee it and break it down constantly. Every pastor's got to take his elders and remind them, you're servants. And he's got to take his deacons and remind them, you're servants. And he's got to take his, his driven, motivated folks and tell them, you need to go out to lunch with, with the lady who just came to church who's really weird. You've got to get around that guy whose life is falling apart. You, we're not going to be an A team and a B team. We that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and bring everybody up. We don't leave anybody behind. Even if it means we cross the finish line later, so be it, but we're not leaving anybody behind. But it's such a carnal, natural tendency to, to start to break up into tears and to break up into A team and B team and us versus them, and we're better than you because you, you had to stay here and guard our stuff. Well, that's the whole reason we're going to wars because nobody stayed behind to guard the stuff. I can see David's wisdom in that they're pursuing the Amalekites and they can't carry all the stuff and be swift, so they have to leave it behind. And if we don't guard this, what happened at Ziklag's happening here, and we're not doing this again. So these guys were gung-ho to go swing a sword, but they didn't have full vision. That's another reason you need a leader. They always see five feet taller than you. They can see further. They see all the inside, all the picture that you don't see. We remind you that sheep only see the rump in front of them. And if a sheep turns around for better perspective, all he sees is a thousand eyes looking at him. And the pastor, the shepherd, he sees the sheep and then he sees where we're going. And spiritually, it works the same way. <laughs> Upstairs, I have that massage chair Schmitty bought for me because uh, I work out and He's a chiropractor's son, so he'll take care of my back. So he got me this massage chair. And then he, it's got one of those padded things you put your face on, you know. And so then he was thoughtful enough. He didn't just buy me the massage chair. He bought me this shearling sheepskin that goes over that to kind of keep your face padded. So anytime I sit down in it for him to work on my back, 
as I'm putting my face down, he always says, welcome to the flock. <laughs> as I press my face into this shearling sheepskin of a bum, I'm like, so this is what it's like being a sheep. I had forgotten what it's like being a sheep. <laughs> David put a quick stop to the clicks. Everyone's role is important. Only wicked men and men of Belial think this way. Apparently such men were among David's disciples. We must never forget that we are trained, disciplined, and promoted to help others, not keep them down. We don't tear people down. We don't put people down. We don't mock their failures. It's not our job to demote people, not even our kids. We don't tear them down. We don't make them. The Bible says in Ephesians uh, 5 or 6, it says that we don't exasperate our children. We don't raise a standard so high that when they fail, we mock them and ridicule them over it. And we don't do the same in the camp. They had gone from 400 men to 600. They ought to be glad that 200 more families joined them and were willing to risk their lives. But you can see there's a heart mindset that has to be discipled as well. Step 15, endure the hard times to see times of promotion. And it came to pass after this, that is the death of King Saul, that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up into the cities, unto any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up. And David said, Where shall I go up? Let me just add something there. God speaks to David, and David asks more questions because he doesn't want to presume anything. And often we will hear from God and just run with it. He asks the question, shall I go up to any of the cities? And the Lord says, go up. And he could have just gone up, but he wants more strategic detail as to what to do to obey the answer. And that ought to teach us that it's wise for us to ask the Lord, okay, Lord, you want me to do missions where? Okay, when? With who? For how long? Not just take it as a blank check and run with it, because there are specific details God has for every arena of our life. And that's where you'll find the grace of God, the protection, the supply. We don't assume anything. David didn't assume he could just take any city to set up his camp at. That's what he's asking. What's to be my headquarters? Because the, the folks are still committed to Saul here, the Benjamites. And he knows he can't just go any place he wants to in Judah, even though Saul is a Benjamite. you got two tribes that are neighbors. Should I go into Judah because I'm of the tribe of Judah? The Lord says, yes. Okay, which city? because I need to know where you want me, because I'll be safe where you want me. And the Lord says, unto Hebron. And the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah in Hebron. And they told David, saying, the men of Jabesh-Gilead were they that buried Saul. And so what you see is that after all these years of running from Saul, he is now dead. And now they finally have peace. They've never had a city of their own. They, they dwelt in Philistine cities, but now they actually have a city to call their own. And the Bible goes on to say that the house of David waxed stronger and stronger and the house of Saul waxed weaker and weaker. But now we finally see we're not running for our lives anymore. After all these years of, of uh, living in haunts, the Bible calls it in the King James, or strongholds or caves, we have our own city. And now we can begin to put down roots. We can begin to expand. Now, even though the prophet said this is the next king, the men of Judah are able to anoint him king. And all those that were with him get to partake of this promotion. That's, but we're 15 steps into this thing. 
And this is why it's so critical that we as believers don't become church hoppers. We don't become, uh, one of my friends, my, my pastor friend in Florida calls them coattail riders. He said some folks will just hop from coattail to coattail without being faithful to anybody. We want to make sure we put down roots through thick and thin because God will eventually promote that leader to a greater level and anybody with them will get that promotion. The old adage says, a high tide raises all ships. You know that expression? We don't live on the beach, so you have to kind of think about that. When the tide comes in, every boat benefits. Right? You think about a dock, think about a port, a thousand ships there. The high tide doesn't just raise the cruise ship. The high tide raises the yacht, the sloop, the catamaran, the little dinghy, even mama in an inner tube. Everybody benefits from high tide. <laughs> and when you're faithful to the, the yacht, you rise with the high tide as well. Amen. Amen. They've already been through enough low tide. After so many years on the run, David is finally anointed king and promoted with him are the men that had shared in his hardships. These men became captains, guards, and mercenaries and executioners, what the King James calls the Cherethites and the Pelethites, which I think is so cool. The King James has this fancy name, but when you break down the Hebrew, it means David had a group of men that were mercenaries and executioners. And one of David's mighty men of valor were responsible for training those guys. So that's kind of when he has a co-op mission, covert ops. Hey, send somebody out. I got to have this guy taken care of. Pretty cool. Their faithfulness in hard times, eating scraps in caves and forests, earned them a seat at the king's table in the king's castle. You won't always eat scraps in a cave. You won't always be scraping the bottom to make it to the next battle. You stick with what God's called you to, and there will come a time of promotion where the high tide will raise you to the buffet on the cruise ship. And you'll know it was all worth it. But see, they did this in faith anyway. They purposely joined themselves to David years prior because they could see this day coming. They could see the greatness on David and the wickedness in Saul. And they said, there's no point joining Saul, even if he's got all the food. Because he's on the decrease, but we can see the greatness on David. And God can't help but promote that guy. We're going to suffer our lives so we might be partakers of David's greatness. And then step 16, final step. Only took three classes and 16 steps to get here. Enjoy being used of God to bring rest to his people. For David said, 1 Chronicles 23, 25, The Lord God of Israel hath given rest unto his people, that they may dwell in Jerusalem forever. If you'll submit to a captain and allow his leadership to make and mold you, God will use you to accomplish great things in this kingdom. The Lord gave Israel rest through, the day, uh, through David and the men he was able to train. David couldn't accomplish his work alone. He needed mighty men of valor. Will you aspire to become a modern, mighty person of valor? It's up to you. Or you can just claim, I, am, I go to the cave of Adullam. I'm a member of the Adullam church. I've been to all the meetings. I've got the, I've got the coffee mug. I've, I'm a member of the Adullam church. Or... Put up, shut up, rise up, pursue, overtake, recover. It's up to you. Because you will answer to God for whether you took on the DNA of where you were called to or not. And when you stay where you're called, whether it's in Grafted Word Church or whatever church you're called to, if you'll stay with it, that's where you'll find the greatness God has for you.
Amen. Father, we thank you for these lessons on becoming mighty men and women of valor. I pray that you'd bless all those in the future listening to it on Pod School. We bless our Pod School listeners. May people become faithful to their church, their pastor, their assignment. May they finish their race and establish greatness in this earth for you. We ask it and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.